0: Summit to Soul Mountain is a quest to share story, to learn perspective, and to enjoy the beauty of the unfolding into soul potential. I'm here in Marshall, North Carolina for a 50-hour training with some amazing souls. Today I have a super special guest joining me on the trail, Erin Kelly. I am super excited to walk the trail with her and explore her story and have some fun is a super amazing yogi and a co-creator of the school Authentic Movements. A lot of her work is based around creative movements in the modern yoga world, exploring the pockets in between, as well as weaving in the ancient traditions of yoga. Erin is an adorable ball of joy with powerful perspective. And speaking from my own perspective, she offers inspiring movements to learn about the body and how to explore the self in a very intimate way. She is one of my yoga teachers along with Stevie. They certified me in my own 200-hour training, and I'm super honored to welcome you to the trail, Erin. Thank you for joining me. Oh,
1: thank you so much, Ryan. I'm so happy to be
0: here. Very honored. So my first question, I like to dive super deep and just get right into it.
1: Sounds good.
0: So would you rather fight life or death? Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 10 duck-sized horses? And mind you, Ooh. these duck-sized horses are stallions.
1: Oh. Oh, boy. I'm just getting the visual, so my eyes are closed. <laughs> so let me catch up with this. One duck-sized horse. Wow. <laughs>
0: Imagine the beak on that thing. I can't.
1: <laughs> That's such an intense question. Or ten stallion duck-sized horses. Oh my word almighty, that is a question and a half. To the death, life or death. Yep. <gasps> um, all right, I think I would, I would go with the, with the duck-sized horse. Yeah. Why? Um, because I could deal with like a lot, one thing with moving parts, but with the 10, I feel like there would be just so many like unpredictable moving parts that I feel that I would get defeated. I do. I don't think I could win that battle. Um, there's. I don't think that there would be a way. Because they would just kind of like, I can just imagine like ants kind of like taking over things. I like, would imagine the same thing about the horses. They're
0: coming at you from all directions. Yeah, from all
1: directions. And I don't think I'm that like quick and nimble to be able to take myself into a higher perspective to see the whole thing. I think I could only really, I know myself with stress, like and i have my eyes still closed by you but i'm trying to explain this because i'm trying to put myself there because if all of these horses were coming at me i just don't know if i yeah i I think i would freeze i think i would completely freeze and with the big duck i would be able to at least somewhat i think i could play a little bit more like of a um uh an opossum kind of like not dead but kind of like hiding maybe more fox life like stealth hide underneath like the bottom of it yeah yeah i can go between the legs and kind of poke around because i am tiny myself so like i think that i would rather maneuver around a big thing that has blind spots than something else being in my blind spot there we go i got the words out my eyes are back open folks (laughs) lovely i
0: love it i love it oh Oh, man that was awesome I feel like I really get to know somebody with that question because you know it can go in in so many directions. Um,
1: awesome, that was a good entry. <laughs> I like it. <laughs>
0: um, so yoga is one and many paths and I'm, I'm curious what has been yoga for you in your life in your journey and the evolution of it and how you've grown and transformed through cool. the process and where and how you discovered yoga.
1: All right. Well, yoga. The practice of yoga started roughly 21 years ago. And I was in Baltimore in art school. Um, So downtown Baltimore and my boyfriend's mom at the time. uh, She was just like beautiful magical woman. She had this like short bob of brown hair like pearl ivy skin and these piercing blue eyes and then these like a super tight fringe, you know, and that's kind of like UK term, but like little bangs that were just crispy cut, you know, Mm -hmm. and she just was just so beautiful to me, and she practiced yoga, amongst some other other practices that she shared with me, Um, and so I was inspired by her at 20, and I was like, oh, I want to practice yoga, so I lived in Baltimore, I lived in a row home, and then, it's in the row home of Baltimore, and I mean, this was also back in 2000, so things were... Baltimore still not the best city, but it was definitely more run down in these pockets. And so the row house I lived in, not every room in it was transformed into an apartment. Mm-hmm. It was like dilapidated in this apartment next to me on the third floor. And it was summer and it was hot. And I mean like missing floorboards, like piles of trash, like i mean mm-hmm. dilapidated inside this. And I decided it was the place next to my apartment, which was also not great. It was a college apartment, but anyway. I took my boombox, my CD of Enya, which, um, yeah, that dates me for sure, (laughs) but that's what I had. And I, not just the boombox and the CD aspect, but (laughs) Enya alone. Um, so it was pretty classical and I went into this room and it must have been like eight or nine o'clock at night and I just blasted the music and I went from like a warrior two kind of thing to like a warrior three so that's like a two feet on the ground like warrior stance and then balance onto one foot kind of like an arabesque like a ballerina like and I was just epic I was like swimming in the air and it must have been 130 degrees in there mind you also uh, Baltimore heat so dirty sticky nasty heat um, yeah it was amazing and that was my introduction to yoga and <laughs> It still sticks out to me to this day. And what just was that it about feeling, it that like, pulled you in? I, well, it was her and mm-hmm. just being, I don't know. I just wanted what she had, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I always did sports. I ran, I ran track, um, sp- soccer. So I was always athletic, and I always wanted to do gymnastics or dance. But we were never in a town long enough to do things like that. Um, and those types of talent, town- like in some of the areas it was more like a s- ice skating, but I also would have loved to do that too. So anything kind of like whimsical and mm. fluid uh, attracted me, um, probably because I'm small and I thought like oh I would be really good at this kind of stuff, but didn't end up doing it. So maybe that was always what I thought as well, um, and I always had a big power. I like a good sense of strong, maybe being compact to the ground. I don't know, and from that, I you know, for the first ten years of yoga, yoga came and went in my life. I dabbled in drugs and alcohol. I'm now ten years sober, so you do the math. (laughs) So I I experimented. I went through various trainings in the first ten years and. I was more or less more sober in some areas and less sober and very not sober in other areas. So that played a pretty big role. The dancing evolution of my sobriety with how far yoga quote unquote would come into my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, that was a, that was a really fun dance and, uh, not all like sad because of sobriety, but it was really fun. like. There was some really intense moments and some really sweet moments in that first decade, and I did a lot of trainings for myself at that point. Um, It wasn't until I was thirty and I got sober and about a year into my sobriety where I started really teaching a little bit more, um, where I started to kind of hone my my voice. But yeah, and then once thirty hit, um, and ten years into my yoga practice, I kind of. I used the energy of sobriety to, and I fell into yoga, and yoga just kind of was there and was like, hey, I'm not leaving, and just like engulfed me, and it was everything from just, you know, I was working in a bar trying to pay my bills in Venice Beach, California, and I, uh, you know, was sober, and I started practicing at this yoga studio next to the bar, and I... Um, I practiced in the morning and then right after cla- uh, right after the, my, my uh, shift. And then I would stay for like three or four shifts. And then they eventually just gave me the keys to the studio. I ended up cleaning the bathrooms. Then I started painting murals for the studio. Then I started teaching. And it was just this like became my house. Um, yeah. And uh, so yoga for me was very much a personal tool. And, um, and then I used it to help others, I guess in a sense, like I really wanted to be there for the people that were going through that kind of energy shift, particularly, and it didn't necessarily have to be sobriety, but just kind of like that unfolding and refolding process of working through our addictions slash attachments and detachments, and just kind of like the yawning and waking up process of being present. It's a long answer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, you know' I'd love to hear the story and um, and especially like looking back you know on these things like it's it's just interesting to look back and see where where you started at and like what happened and where you got and then you know after the ten years like how yeah. you fell deeper into it you know and um, and especially yeah sharing that with others and and holding that space like that's that's really beautiful yeah so um yeah, because I think, like you were saying earlier, a lot of people, you had mentioned that, like, uh, this yoga has impacted somebody on an intimate level in, in some way, you know, whether it was, you know, to get sober or to, you know, just to hold space or find self, and um, it's Hi. like, it's like, uh, I think that happens for a lot of people. It starts starts out as a movement practice or, like, mm-hmm. seeing, seeing what it is and, and kind of wanting that, and then... And then it just like takes over, and like, you know, the translation of what you do on the mat is is what what comes off of the mat and stuff. For sure. So, um, and I'm also curious about. You asked us on the, on the first day, what what does creative movement mean to us? Why do we want to teach it? What's our purpose? What's our mission with that? So I'm I'm curious what what your answer is for that question
1: ah oh, spinning it on me ryan i see Um <laughs> am grateful i've had some time to think about it and i i think that creativity and something like authenticity uh it it's almost lost its sense of awe in a way by the by our internal comprehension or our internal value systems of what we deem to believe it to be. And I think that it can have a sense of all. So I shouldn't say lost its sense of all. But I also feel like it can be misguided by thinking that it is this way. So when I go back into the concept of parameters and, um, creating containers or thinking categorically about something. So if I think about creativity like this ball or category and creative movements, I limit myself to every other possibility it could be. And so if you think creative movements, that could be like lyrical movement going across like a big stage and just having a really open floor plan to just kind of roll and that could be like animal style movements or just rolling and reaching and finding that or it could be a, a long trail run. So what makes it creative in that regard and so how we've, as we approach that word, is that word a house that is working for us or against us by just classifying itself as this. and? I mean that in the way of our perspective, our perspective of these words. So I think at first it's kind of learning what our perspective of those words are and then what is our relationship to that word? And then how are we holding ourselves in limitations to it or parameters to it? Because for me, I think that it's not about just being creative or being weird, because I think that can be a very first observation of it, but rather what Is it not? And like, then it thinks of like, holy cow, there's can be endless amounts of possibility of creativity. Um, And I think that for myself, it can go, and I love running, as you know. Um, So for me, it's that second for where the creativity moves with us, where the breath is with the movement however that looks in shape and postural positioning to the cadence and the duration of time. um, It can happen in a matter of a second and it can be something that is prolonged through whatever a 10 mile run or an hour long practice. So it's our ability to not be the sole provider or the sole connector to creativity but it's rather our ability to get our mind out of the way, to be present with the movement process. Mm -hmm. I speak about creativity often like a fish, and like this idea of if we were to creatively move, it's not something tangible that we would be grasping on with our hands, like grabbing onto a fish, but that You know the fish; it would only jump out of our hands, most ridiculously, right? And I mean, you may even stomp on it or like roll on it. I'm just seeing like a dog trying to like yeah, the the tilapia from (laughs) earlier, which if you all uh, have no idea what we're talking about, but I had everybody kind of describe the word tilapia, which is not a real word. They just were now, you know, masters of the dictionary, and one of the words was like a fun fish dance, kind of similar to a tilapia, but a tilapia tilapia dance. Um, but that whole idea with creativity is allowing it to, the fish to swim with you. So you're not trying to crass this fish. This is not. It's, un, it's ungraspable or ingrassable. Um, and allowing it to swim with you. So what is it? I, I think for sure the magic happens when I don't give a sh- what's going on. And I cannot think my way through anything. So the second that I, you know, because I also think then we have this, like, um, uh, what is it? What is it when we, we have this? superstitions about it too so it's like we feel creative that's one thing in one moment in time but then we want it to happen again Mm -hmm. so we have these superstitions well oh man i can't I can't seem to get creative again, so I need to wear these pants, or I need to, it can only be when the sun's out, or it's only past 9 p.m., or I have to play this music, or I have this cup of tea, or whatever, and I think of when we are moving in a creative way, like whatever it be, painting, drawing, writing, running, dance, however, that, you know, we have to kind of play the devil's advocate on our own accord of being like, get yourself out of the way, and that's like a, I think that alone is creative problem solving.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah beautifully said I mean and there's there's a lot there and it's like the creativity is is fleeting and it can also be you know like a longer like phase of of creativity Um, and that's that's like my own just the ebbs and flows of of coming into it and then sometimes creativity is it's it's like Really creative, and other times it's it's just like a little glimpse of something, and then that can inspire more creativity. Mm-hmm. And I like how you you mentioned like, or just like the the personal, like the personal of it, like being super like personal to yourself, you know, and how you how you find it. Um, yeah, it's I love that answer, and especially like what is like what isn't creativity you know figuring that out and and what it is you know what it is for you and and what's not creative because it's so different to everybody you Mm -hmm. know especially in yoga where a lot of it can be you know so strict and that's what i appreciate about you and stevie and, and your school and stuff and it's like you know offering how can you explore and how can you you know find what is most valuable to you
1: sure yeah, I mean, part of that is just being able to, to, again, be a container for your own personal exploratory process within your practice, but then also others. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a level of just like acceptance, but also in terms of like taking duality out of the way of like what is good and bad, what is creative, what is not a creative, like, I mean, it is all a matter of perspective and it's, mm-hmm. all, it's a lot of it is like found it, it isn't a foundation of like quicksand it's it's pretty uh, not delusional but like illusional it's like a, it's elusive like mm-hmm. you again can't hold on to it um, unless you decide that this is my value system and then this is creative or this is not creative mm-hmm. and um... for me it really boils down to like connecting outside of myself and that starts with the breath by one the major outside source that we have mm-hmm. and we get that biofeedback right away as soon as the breath starts to move into the system and however that kind of shifts and changes that causes the body to move when we're running when we're moving we're not always thinking like right foot forward left foot forward right hand down left hand down however you know the what is really guiding that movement is the breath but we you know want to our mind wants to get into the middle of it and start thinking of like, okay, no, I got this, I got this. I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna you know, take over this. And rightfully so, but it actually doesn't provide that sense of fluidity that creativity is drawn to. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like an illusion of creativity when the mind does it. It's like, I, 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 I got it, I got it, you know? Um, yeah. it, is, it is a very uh, individual thing and a conversation and it's a muscle just like everything else mm-hmm. no one is not creative mm-hmm. that's not in my opinion what we all have got it mm-hmm. it's just whether it or not you decide you want to practice it
0: right and and how deep you want to go with it and
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and the the co-creation of it you know the the like like we were learning the the borrowing of of these ideas and then making your own and and translating and figuring out what works for you and and saying goodbye to the rest of it and and what serves you and what doesn't
1: it's a valid valid point making those decisions to and and like critically think we're very good at mimicry and which is not a bad thing but that when we start to mimic i think in our minds that creates another value system of because we mimic something it's not good or we have that imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and like um, that's not necessarily true, you know, and, but we end up stopping there. I think that is a hindrance of the, the natural trajectory or, um, flow momentum that, that creativity can carry. And so kind of, it's like looking at these ingredients and then to be able it's not common that we really have time to cognitively think or critically think for ourselves. of like, do I even like this? (laughs) Do I, do I, is this even interesting to me? Do I even want this? And like, Hey, I kind of like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then I'm going to pull this together. And even if it doesn't make any sense, that's kind of like the idea of the scrapbook It's like, I like this little piece of paper here. And then I like this little feather here. And they may never have a conversation in logical order in real life. When the mind comes in of like, what would, I do with this piece of paper and this feather, but to a child and a creative mind, all of a sudden, that is like a magical unicorn fairy dust that explodes the mountain over on the right. And didn't you just see that? It's incredible. So there's a sense of play. There's a sense of awe. There's a sense of wonder. Um, And I think all of that, when we can decide for ourselves that, A, it's not imposter syndrome. Are we hindering ourselves to creatively think and creatively explore? And, you know, B, like, can we have a little bit of fun with it? Can we at least start to think that, like, play maybe is one of our, like, big life necessities? Mm-hmm. Maybe.
0: Take out the maybe. I, think. I mean,
1: it, does, it may not pay the bills, but it could. It could. It could. In my sense, it sort of does. Yeah.
0: Exactly, <laughs> and, and that's so important, like that level of play, like, you know, it, it just creates curiosity and, mm-hmm. you know, lets the imagination go and, and then you get out of your, you know, you just, whatever comes, you know, you let it come into you and move through you and play and, yeah. and laugh. And, and that's a necessity, you know, yeah. to, to laugh and to find joy in life and, and whatever you're doing best you can you know Mm -hmm. sometimes life sucks
1: totally Um, oh gosh i mean yeah (laughs) yeah that's that's it though like i like to think a lot of that like that idea of when we breathe and we are in there with the body and we're moving no matter how much shit sucks like we get a body right now and like that's that remembrance like mm i don't know if remembrance is an appropriate word but that that we get to take that breath, like like, I mean we've all had that story, Mm -hmm. the story of our lives that made us quote-unquote who we think we are and who we project ourselves to be to the world and you know that can be the conversation you always tell you know I hesitate to talk about my yoga story because yeah that's 20 years I got sober that kind of thing that's part of my story but is that really the essence of it all? I mean, no, like, the point is, is, like, I chose it every day. You know, I got up, hungover or not, uh, you know, after car accidents and breakups and joyous times, times when I had little sleep and times where I had done it day after day after day after day (laughs) um, where I just couldn't imagine putting my hands back down on the mat because my wrists were so sore, and I still chose it. It was just this language that needed to be spoken, um... And that's it. I breathed it, breathed it all the time. So, you know, it could be the like clickbaity highlight story of like, yeah, a recovering addict. But I don't think it's any special so than any anybody else. Everybody else has this. We all have that. Mm-hmm. That's all there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about how you choose it, mm-hmm. and how you keep choosing it, and it doesn't matter. Really, about anything else. Mm-hmm
0: i like how you mentioned remembrance i thought that that resonated with me because i often think about like especially yoga helped me to remember things and then i forget Mm -hmm. those things and then i re-remember the same thing and it sticks a little bit more Mm -hmm. and then i'll forget them and then i'll come back home to it you know so it's like this
1: totally yeah yeah i talk about that a lot too because i think we go glide through life with the social conditioning right like um all these society uh societal like um prefab (laughs) uh stages of life and that can be distracting and also like numbing a little bit right because we go through this life process and we keep going and doing the thing um and this is where i feel like what you just said really resonated with me is that yoga when i'm in it and i'm practicing and i'm on my mat or, or whatever the floor or i'm just breathing or i'm breathing and walking which is all the same this is all yoga in my opinion but <laughs> um that's a different question but that that i get these moments of time of where i can think outside of these like even if i'm choosing a different life than what society has deemed to be the idea of what we do things mm-hmm. I still think that a lot of us that are choosing these different lifestyles, different career paths, there's still an undeniable um, current of of a pull towards that, like, hey, why don't you get married? Hey, why don't you have kids? Hey, you're supposed to get this house. Hey, you're supposed to have this job. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to. There's still a current that most of all of the other fish in society has been doing for a long time up until now and I'm not saying there's something wrong or right about it but it's when you're kind of deviating from that norm and you kind of you know that's that whole remembrance like when you get to the mat and you're breathing there's not even really a word to kind of encapsulate that sensation of like this is whatever this this thing right here that i'm like playing with on the mat with my breath with my movement this little thing this is kind of driving something i'm curious i'm itching something i'm going somewhere and then you move off the mat and you go to your day and then you get hit with a bill and a this and a that and and then a wedding and then a, you know and then you're standing up here and it's just kind of like pulling you back into these cultural and societal norms that again nothing's wrong or right about but i think that there is this like little fluctuation or flow back and forth of where meeting the breath with movement is this almost primitive and instinctual, like um, ancient way of living life, not perceiving life.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's all inside our hearts, every single one of us, you know, Mm -hmm. but like the society, you know, kind of strips that away and, and, you know, um, yeah, very fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing I, I like to ask too is, because Summit of Soul Mountain is is about the journey, sure. upward the mountain, finding soul. And as you know, I'm sure climbing mountains sucks sometimes. It's tough, it's challenging, the ups and downs, the meandering. Um,
1: Are we there yet? Right, you know? <laughs> and then
0: even false summits, you uh-huh. know? It's like, oh, oh hell yeah, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. And then you get up to the top and you're like, oh, fuck, yeah. dude, you know? and uh, And so, like those hardships are what makes the peaks so so powerful and so profound and okay. so beautiful. Um, so I'm curious, and you can go in any direction with this, um, like what's a hardship that, you're, that you've conquered in the hmm. past um, or currently conquering right hmm. now, and, and how are you navigating it?
1: Hmm. I'm trying to get out of the visualization of, I had Todd and Taz New Mexico in September, Um, so a little like, you know, I don't know, some time ago, chapters ago, (laughs) Um, and there was a trail I did uh, every day and it was like a, I don't know, probably like a 12 mile loop and it was intense. And I was also, I had driven from the East Coast to Taos and we landed and it was about 6,000 square, 6,000 square feet, 6,000 feet high where we, where I started. And then I would go up like another five. So it would be, not five, maybe 10. It was up to 10, I think. So I'd go up another four and I hadn't been in that kind of elevation, nor trail running, mm-hmm. and it was also like the slippery rock kind of business, and it's straight up, and there were so many false summits, and it was hot, and I couldn't breathe, the elevation, the oxygen, like, whoo! and like the first couple of runs, I was fine. Like, I actually went through it and uh there was a more uh intense variation going up the one side of the mountain and then you go through the back side of the mountain and it was more windy trails a little bit of cliff action off to the side so you get a little scare there but for the most part it was like a predictable run on the way down on the way up was intense and of course i could have gone around the other way but my nature was like hard fast let's do this and um first couple of runs was fine and then it was like the, the third time I had done it where it got to me the elevation got to me the time of day got to me and it was just like whoo I got super sick super fast like trail running and this other trail runner was like coming the opposite way and they're like oh are you cool I'm like whoo yeah I'm fine just <laughs> had to evacuate so <laughs> much better now and we you know I'm going up and going up and like the summit there was super peaceful because it wasn't like there was like an an observant look like you weren't like look around at the top of the summit because there were some trees at that aspect and, like, the trees were just epic. and But you couldn't see that far into the distance, right? Because they were in the way. But what you could see was all these other humans had taken a rock and placed Mm. it into a pile. And just the... I get chills thinking about it, just the amount of humans that had come up and just, like, hand-placed this rock on this little pile at the top of, like, hey, we're all here. And... um, there was just so much communal energy to such a remote place. And it wasn't a fancy trail by any means. It was just something that happened there in Taos, New Mexico. Um, so I can't, when you're thinking, when you're talking about this, I think about that, right? Um, and I couldn't help but to get over those life's visuals that they offer you. Cause I think that a lot of the stuff we go to, I could probably pull out a numerous amount of stories of things that like, I have triumphed to quit. Like nicotine. I love nicotine. I smoked for so many years, naturally being an addict, but then I chewed a lot of the gum because I quit smoking, but I'm like super hyperactive. I loved the sensation of nicotine. So getting rid of nicotine is one thing. Or fear of public speaking, of taking everything personal, of getting really defensive and biting at people, of hiding out in my room and not socializing. Um, Yeah, not feeling enough and all of that kind of stuff that happens to our people when we start to collide with the exterior force of like buying too much on Amazon or like whatever, feeling X, Y, and Z, again, the pull of the current. Um, But I think that it's, so much more at home the things that I'm navigating and it's like I would say like lying
0: mm.
1: I would say lying is is the bigger thing It's lying to myself of like where I am actually at in life and and what I'm doing and who, who I am, and what I'm believing myself to be, and are these value systems mine? Have I thought these? Have I actually critically acclaimed this? Or is this a learned behavior? So I think that navigating through truth is, is it's harsh, and it's brutal, and it's raw, and it's, these things are not that glorifying. Um, as far as, you know, overcoming eating disorders and drug abuse, but it's true. Mm -hmm. It's, am I being honest? Mm -hmm. And the answer is not really, not always. Mm -hmm. And when I know that I've always, you know, went through the program of AA in the beginning of my sobriety, and it's just like, your secrets keep you sick. And like this concept of rigorous honesty, but these words are so easy to say, but the principles are much harder to live, particularly when we are hiding the truth and the evidence from ourselves. So for me, it's like picking up the rugs of my house and looking under them and being like, yo, is there a floor there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or am I just make believe in this shit, you know? Like, you know, what's true? And trying to call myself out on my bullshit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Sure. That takes a lot of, you know, honesty and courage to to share that you know because that's that's just a tough thing to to come to terms with and then especially share with somebody and um
1: i think if like we all just admit we lie because we're scared Mm -hmm. Mm. fear is not fear is a learned behavior Mm -hmm. and so like Once that, it kind of, kind of take the power out of it a little bit, and then it's really freeing to share it, Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, like, hey, I I took that contrary action there to, like, just be a little honest.
0: It goes a long way. It
1: does. (laughs) It does. It's hard to undercover sometimes, Mm -hmm. because we are master manipulators with ourselves. Mm. We're super good at that. It's amazing, actually. It is.
0: (laughs) We got couple minutes here and I got one one question that I I like to ask all my guests is and and it's hard to to keep it low so um, but what is what does soul mean to you?
1: Ah soul Hmm. like the pulse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the the pulse, I, I go go back to this like, the rhythm and the heartbeat, um, not necessarily of our own sense of self, but I think that, again, it's that there's a sense of awe with the marrying of the breath, with the movement, when we are particularly more within nature that happens and we're usually alone in a moment of time where you can smell deeply, you can hear extraordinarily. And there's like this biteable quality to the air that is just like better than anything of ice cream. And it's this joining of like the outer layers of your skin is it's not, it's not, they don't, it doesn't exist anymore. This idea to me of soul is not an internal thing it's like a it's an all encompassing thing. They have a term in in um in yogic philosophy called Purusha and that's the, the is the kind of the concept of consciousness, of like the all knowing consciousness and it's been, I guess, observed in many stories and myths of like the Bhagavad Gita with Krishna and Arjuna and Krishna is this you know, all knowing or it's Shiva and Shakti and it's um, you know, this this uh, engagement between Prakriti, this material world, and Purusha, this all-knowing sense of consciousness, and then there's this intertwining of like, hey, is Purusha part of Prakriti? This all, all matter of self, so this sense of self, this vessel that we live in, or is it, you know, outside of self? And I think that there's a constant dance and battle between it, and that's kind of what I'm talking about here, is like where I find it. And I find it often in, like on the AT, like when I'm running through the trails there and I see this pocket of moss that has, you know, a bunch of spring flowers coming up. And it's, I'm not nor here nor there, is that mine or am I that kind of question comes in. You know, it's a little bit fluffy, but the sense of nature is so much bigger and vaster than my own sense of soul that I would, I feel that there's a level of unionship that happens and and i I think it's there
0: (laughs) lovely i'm always so fascinated to you know hear where each person takes that because it's such a charged word and totally can go in so many different directions totally so
1: i think there's a lot of preconceived ideas and notions and ideas about it it may have to be this huge thing um but i don't think that there's a true self or uh an inner soul, I think it's much more out, bigger and grander than that. Um, Lovely. Yeah.
0: Well, Erin, thank you so much thank for you, uh, joining me on here, and you know,
1: it's been so special to have you here at the training, but also like online and having our paths crossed. I can feel your energy over the internet when you're coming to our online classes, but I adore you i adore you i adore what you're about your energy i'm telling you all that listen to him and are listening to these podcasts he is such a special treat um, with many many special gifts so i appreciate you and your efforts i appreciate you as well
0: thank you so much thank you thank you so much for joining me on the trail today it was an honor to connect and share story with Aaron and uh, to hear her perspectives in a lot of different ways. Um, I will drop in the show notes how you can connect with Aaron and their school authentic movements. Um, Yeah, sending you so much love on your journey up to Soul Mountain. Cheers.